another edition of the Talking Mess Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, July the twenty, July the 31st, 2016, going back in time there for a minute. Of course, if you want to listen to this show, get it on MetsmerizedOnline.com. You can check it out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, or whatever podcasting service you choose. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. And a little bit of a different show for all of you today. It is the trade deadline, which really it's supposed to be today, but it's August 1st for leap year purposes and whatnot. And because a show like this is somewhat fluid, I don't know between when I record this at 6 o'clock here on Sunday, when you listen to it, uh, anything could happen between when I post this and, and hopefully as we look at the news throughout the podcast over the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, if something happens, we'll pivot and, and adjust and what have you. But joining me throughout the next 45 minutes or so will be Tim Donner, nationally syndicated talk show host, a show called Talking Baseball. You know him from MetsamorizedOnline.com. He's been on the show before. And I thought, what better person to take me through a trade deadline show and kind of navigate what has been a very difficult stretch for the New York Mets is Tim Donner. Tim, welcome to the program and welcome to kind of uh, – co-captaining this ship tonight here on the Trade Deadline Central here on the Talking Mets podcast. Well, I tell you, Mike, I'm actually far more delighted to be on talking with you than I have been watching this team lately. Brutal. That's a pretty low bar. I'll tell you what, you're going to love this because I have Netflix. I got so disgusted last night. It was far more enjoyable me turning on to reruns of the Wonder Years than me finishing up that (laughs) ballgame last night. That tells Boy, you where I'm at. I'm going bar. back 30 years. Yeah, I'm 30 years back in time there. Um, but, Tim, let me let me set this up. Last week at this time, uh, we had a, had a show you know, commemorating Piazza's induction into the Hall of Fame. And we'll get maybe a little bit into that. I think everybody's piazza out by now and into the Subway Series as, as the program goes on. But I had said last Sunday the Mets had just taken two out of three from Miami. This is a critical critical homestand. They control their destiny. They play St. Louis. Colorado, maybe I underestimated them a little bit, but I said they should beat Colorado. And here we are a week later. Fortunately, they win today to salvage something of the homestand, two and five. But to me, where they are, where this team is at, only a few games over 500. We hear all these rumors, Jonathan Lucroy, you hear rumors about Jay Bruce and, and them getting an arm. I'm not so sure a team that's only a couple of games ahead of the Yankees in terms of record. And the Yankees, and I understand they're different position, but the Yankees have pretty much waved the white flag on our sellers. I'm not saying the Mets are sellers, but I'll tell you what. I don't think this is a team to invest in. I'm not convinced that it's a team that's going to make any kind of run. Everybody's pointing to last year. And after this weekend, Tim, is there any way that you could convince me over the next 45 minutes or so that there's any reason to invest in the 2016 New York Mets, unless a deal comes along that brings them something that could help them in 2017 without sacrificing too much of the future. But I look at it this way. The Mets, I don't want to say they're done, but I don't see any scenario where I get jazzed up and say, yeah, this is a team that not only can make the playoffs, but can win a playoff game, a play-in game, and then go on to make some noise in a short series. Well, the last thing you described – Uh, I think is the most realistic, and that is the ground that is somewhere between being a seller and being a buyer, and that is being both a seller and a buyer with an eye towards the last two months of this year and a shot at a uh, one-game playoff or play-in is okay if it also includes an eye towards 2017. And I think just one more year. I mean, you don't have to get a guy that you're guaranteed to lock down for another three or four years. But you do need to get someone who can contribute for two months this year, but who fits into the plans for next year as well. And I think that's where they are. I think that the fans of the Mets would understand and would probably support trading anyone from Neil Walker to Estrubal Cabrera to Wilmer Flores to Diazza to Granderson uh, to anyone short of Conforto, uh, uh, or Ahmed Rosario uh, or Dominic Smith. Anyone, anyone short of them, I think Met fans will support trading, for example, a Brandon Nimmo or a Gavin Caccini, because I think they understand that the Mets are at a point where uh, the, their window is still open. 
this is a it, this is what I wrote in Mesmerize today that this is in a lot of ways the season is defined by their lack of situational hitting their inability to score without hitting a home run uh, but that the window is still open because really this is a year that doesn't significantly diminish your long-term optimism because if you figure that Harvey Harvey comes back next year certainly better than this year Wheeler should have figured it out by then Syndergaard whatever's plaguing him uh, some arm fatigue perhaps the bone chips in the elbow should be much better given a full off season DeGrom has recovered already uh, and and Mats as well will have those bone chips surgically removed. So the outlook for next year from this, you know, once in a generation starting rotation should uh, we should be able to resume our level of optimism about that rotation. And I think this offense, which is absolutely more abundant, unwatchable, which has turned from the most exciting team in baseball for the last almost three months of last year to a team that's almost unwatchable. Uh, notwithstanding Sunday's uh, comeback win with what else, a home run from Neil Walker. Uh, I think, you know, another thing that happened on Sunday, and, you know, signs and wonders, we all look for those things as we still try try to sort of sort things out and quantify them statistically, uh, is when Estrubal Cabrera went down. I mean, if you hadn't felt up to this point that this was just a season that was destined to be the opposite of last season from the beginning, you had to sort of be convinced today that this is a reversal of fortune, that this is just plain horrible luck. They're they're already last in the league in BABIP, you know, in batting average for balls in play. You know, they're historically, historically the second lowest number in history with runners in scoring position, ironically enough, second only to the 1969 San Diego Padres. Of course, that was the year Expansion the Mets team. won the World Series. But, I mean, I mean, Mike, we're talking about six of their eight starting eight, six of the eight going down long-term this season. The only ones who have survived injury in the opening day starting lineup are Granderson, who's had a, a lousy season, and Conforto, who just uh, had a baffling two-month slump went to Vegas, has come back, but still is not the hitter we saw last year. So, I mean, it's just it's a kind of a snake-bitten season. And with Harvey going down as well, Syndergaard and Matt's questions surrounding them, you know, DeGrom pitching better. But who would have thought we'd get to the point where Jacob DeGrom was the only one out of that Fab Five who would be healthy and pitching up to expectations or even to near expectations uh, by this time of the year? And I'll outline the roster right now. And this is the shame of everything with this team because even with Matt Harvey, who had a lousy season, if you compare this staff to last year, it's better. You have Syndergaard, Matt DeGrom, who are, uh, I think, DeGrom and, and Syndergaard are top five in all of baseball in ERA. You look at ERA Plus, they're, 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 you know, Syndergaard and, and DeGrom are well over 50% better than a league average player. That's, that's all-star status. Cologne has had a solid year. Matz has had a solid year. Dropped off a little bit with the bone spurs, but he's battling through it and uh, still giving you quality starts. Harvey is uh, not named, but he was basically giving you fifth starter-esque performance. That's good. That's that's good. The bullpen, with the exception of Bastardo, this is the best Mets bullpen since 2006. But let me move to this offense, and this is where I guess I'm not sure if this is by design or this is by, like you said, bad luck because of the whole you know, batting average and balls in play. Historically, a team should hit at some point. Everything should level out to 300, and they're well below that. Um, you, know, you look at the batting average at runners in scoring position. You can't trade or work on that. There's no way to work on that stuff. But outside of Cespedes, who is the stud in the lineup, you have your next best hitter. If you use OPS+, plus, your next best hitter is James Loney who is not on the roster until June. And that, and you know, the eye test bears that out. Granderson's an average hitter, a league average hitter. Now, below league average, Neil Walker, Cabrera, Conforto, uh, Ligaris when he was in the lineup, Duda when he's, I mean, Darno has been awful. 
I mean, somebody has to talk to him. I don't think that that bat swung forward towards the pitcher before it comes in. I don't remember it being like that in, in prior seasons. Diaz has perked up, but he's been awful, significantly below league average. Look, Rene Rivera, who's not a good hitter, has been one of their better hitters in the last month. Kelly Johnson. What does that, what does that tell bit. you? I mean, what does that, that tell you? When Renee Rivera can be singled out as an offensive force, that tells you about all you need to know. I mean, this is a team that is devoid of any semblance of dynamism in their offense. They can sit back and hit homers, mostly solo homers. They've proven they can do that. They bashed their way through April by hitting home runs. And they lost their way when it came to situational hitting, and they've never recovered it. I mean, the Cespedes, uh, let's be honest, uh, we all kind of thought, a combination of thought, hoped, and prayed, that that two-run homer that Cespedes hit against the Cardinals on Wednesday night was going to be the defining moment of the season. That was going to be the late July, early August magic of 2015 redux right that this was going to be the moment and when they blew that when they blew that game with a closer who had picked up 52 consecutive saves what the fourth highest streak in major league history you had to look at yourself and say look it and and you have seasons like this where you say it just ain't happening and those seasons occur and I would point you to the 2015 Nationals. I mean, there's a team, Daniel Murphy notwithstanding, that's largely the same as last year in so many ways. I mean, Harp, if, if you reverse Har- Murphy's giving them what Harper was expected to give them, and Harper's giving them probably even less than what Murphy was expected to give them. So they're largely a same team. They tried to get a leadoff hitter that – that uh, who uh, has largely been disappointing in Ben Revere to fill the shoes of Denard Spann. Uh, they had a guy at shortstop, Espinosa, who, you know, really should have been just a placeholder who's had a, you know, a pretty good year, albeit with a low batting average. What I'm saying is that bad seasons, sometimes they just happen. And, I would point to 1987. For those of you familiar with Mets history, I mean, this was the year after 1986, and they were beset by injuries the entire year. They won 92 games, but they were supposed to win well over 100. They were supposed to win the division, and they headed for a showdown with the Cardinals on the last weekend of the season. They never made it there because they were eliminated the day before that. But it's the same kind of thing we've witnessed before in Mets history, uh, which I would point out is replete with evidence that the Mets simply don't make the postseason two two seasons in a row. They've only done it once in their entire 54-year history. So (laughs) those of us with a sense of history should be sort of nodding our heads and saying, "Uh uh-huh, seen that movie before. Well, and here's the thing, though, and I understand what you're saying, sure. Stuff happens. Pitching-wise, the Mets are not an injured pitching staff. I understand the bone chips and Harvey, but they've had about six starters they've needed this year. Teams that win championships have to go to nine or ten starters sometimes. And they'll yes. probably get a seventh starter with, uh, with Wheeler. Uh, and maybe an eighth, because I mean, they were able to get away with putting Cologne on three days rest instead of putting another starter in. Uh, so they haven't really been injured. I understand the offense. My thing is this. From spring training, the moment they came in, I've questioned because the starters struggled. DeGrom, Harvey, uh, even Matt's there coming out of the gate, um, uh, you know, struggled that first start. And I have to question, was this team prepared to compete as if they were coming in defending a title? Uh, Did they think that they were going to muddle, and they basically muddled through the first four months of the season. Now it's August 1st, and in a league where two teams make the wild card, you can still be mathematically very much in it and do that, but that's not the position you want to be in. Where does this fall on the coaching staff? And obviously the front office, because I look at this coaching staff and I'm saying to myself, have any of them made a difference? Is the hitting philosophy the reason for what we see with how they go about each and every game? Uh, you know, the lack of productive at-bats, the lack of productive outs, the lack of energy you see from this team. 
Um, you know, I'm not a fan of Terry Collins. I don't think he's a good in-game manager. Uh, you know, that's not the only reason why they've struggled this year. But when you start to hear Terry say things, well, these guys need to go out and have fun. And, and then there's that disconnect on Friday where Stephen Matz, who felt his, his outing was subpar, where Terry goes, hey, that a boy, you, you grinded through it. You have to wonder, you know, have they maximized this season? Have they done uh, as much as they could with the talent on the field? You know, sometimes you could just say, ah, oh, bad luck, uh, you know, injuries, whatnot. But every team has that. And, and, and they shouldn't throw away a season because, Tim, what happened last year, and I said this to everybody, there's no guarantees that that'll happen with this group again. I mean, 2006 came and went, and we're 10 years later, and David Wright, is, is, his career may be over, and his only World Series is the one that happened with a team that wasn't supposed to get there. So you don't know. And, and, and the problem I have is that I do not believe this team came into the season ready to seize the moment. They came into the season looking to meander around and get hot late and, um, and actually use the beginning of the season as a warm-up, while the rest of the league, specifically the Nationals, said, no, the race starts now. And that, to me, falls on both management and the coaching staff. And if the Mets don't make the playoffs, Sandy Olsen said at the All-Star break, he expects his team to make the playoffs. How can you come back with this management group? Not, I'm saying the front office, but the field staff. How can you come back next year with these guys and sell it as, well, things are going to be different. What's going to be different? Really, what's going to be different? Well, the problem, I, don't I think the, you prob- do the, the problem that many of us are having is that who you're criticizing now, and, and with good reason, uh, are the same people who were in place when they made their run last year and came up just short of winning, winning it all. I mean, lest we forget even not the fact that they lost the World Series, but that they were either tied or ahead in 80% of the innings in that World Series and just gave away games in the late innings. I mean, that's how close they were to winning the World Series. But, and but so they Tim, came let's, into this let's year. peel that onion. Let's peel that onion that World Series. Terry Collins is very responsible for losing game four, not going to his closer. You know, Ned Yost goes to his closer for two innings. They win that game. Terry doesn't, and they lose. And then, I mean, game five was a tough call with Harvey, but – well, no, you know, I, look, I understand what said, you're saying. Don't put him back out. I, I so understand he, what you're saying, and, and I'm not going to argue with you because I had I have problems with Harvey being sent back out there for the ninth inning in the fifth game, as many many New York fans do. Many of them uh, retroactively, I might add. Um, Correct. But the point is that they're the same people in place that were there when they made their run last year, which means they're given a much longer leash than they would be in ordinary circumstances in a season like this. I still would point back to, and look, I'm no big fan of Terry Collins either, but he apparently runs an orderly clubhouse in which he does command respect. I mean, I, I think both those things are true. He is not a good in-game manager. The guy is no reincarnation of Bobby Valentine, let's put it that way. At the same time, he runs what appears to be a relaxed uh, and respectful clubhouse. Uh, so it's, it's a mixed bag with him. But I think in the end, what it comes down to is, could we have conceived before this season started that the Mets wouldn't be one of the five best teams in the National League? I mean, we could conceive of them possibly no. losing a tight race to the Nationals. Uh, we sure. could conceive of them finishing with a worse record than the Cubs or maybe the Dodgers or the Giants or maybe the Cardinals. But could we conceive of them not being one of the top five teams in the league this year? Because that's what you'd be talking about if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, and that inclu- includes the two wildcard spots, of course. And I think the answer is no, that's not an acceptable outcome. And you're not going to, it seems to me, uh, it changed the offense dramatically, which is what they need to do and which is what I expect them to do from this dull, lead-footed, station-to-station bunch we're seeing day-to-day uh, this year, which has made all of, all of us want to just turn away when they have men in scoring position because you just know they're not going to come through. Uh, so do they – do it they beyond – but, they, Tim uh, – is it is it beyond them to have productive outs? I mean, these are big league hitters. I'm trying to figure out when you go back to last year's offense, which was the best in baseball from August first on. Darno was part of that offense. 
Uh, Duda, uh, who's not exactly a dynamic speedster, was part of that offense. Same with Murphy. Uh, same with Flores. Same right. with Wright. Um, you could maybe make the argument that that to a certain degree, if he's not gimpy with the the, the quad, that Cespedes is 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 somewhat of a of a multi-dimensional player. I mean, this is the same type of offensive philosophy that took them to the World Series. Now, a lot of people forget. Let's let's really peel the onion because I mean that was an exciting run. Maybe we've deluded ourselves on that quote that you had, Tim, about being the top five teams in the National League. They didn't hit in the Dodgers series short of one game against a pitcher they should have blown out. And they, they basically had Murphy and the bullpen and the starting rotation, and, well, basically Familia in the starting rotation, to win that series. The Cubs, they never let them get up for breath after they beat them in two close games at home. And they didn't hit in the World Series. So they had opportunities to tack on runs, to have big hits. So this has started in the World Series. So maybe... This is a been a, this has been a problem. Maybe it was a problem last year, and they were fortunate that in a tournament they weren't exposed in the first two rounds because uh, they were a hair away from losing that Dodgers series. I mean, let's face it: uh, Murphy doesn't hit that home run, doesn't steal. The, the Dodgers don't have a brain fart. You know, they may lose Game Five two to one. That's very possible over there. So, um, you know that 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 to me is part of all this. That maybe this was a bigger problem going into the season, but this is the philosophy of the front office, Tim. So, is it going to change? Probably not. Unless they're going to say, well, this is random. The runners in scoring position thing, that's bad luck. The batting average on balls in play, that's just not going to happen. Historically, it won't. So is it the, is it the process or the outcome here, I guess, is the way you're looking at it? Well, you have to be responsible. One of the good things about baseball is that you play 162 times. So it's very hard to attribute any statistical uh, category uh, as a fluke to any individual team. And again, I say team, and, and, and the juju, the esprit in the clubhouse is very different this year than it was last year. And let's not forget, I mean, this is a team that last year snuck up on everyone, came out of nowhere, uh, lightning struck, and they took the league by storm. This year, everybody was ready for them. This year, every time you played the Mets, at least early in the season until recently, you were saying, this is a series we have to get up for. And it's very different to have a target on your back. And again, I hate to keep blaming injuries, but when you, when you cut out the core of your lineup, when you cut out David Wright for what he was worth, Lucas Duda and his 25 to 30 home runs, the fact that Travis Darno was injured again for a matter of several weeks and has come back and not been and not had the breakout season that we expected. When you consider now Cabrera is down for the count, when you consider that Lagaris is gone, when you consider most of all that Cespedes is limping around on a bad quad that forced him out of the lineup again today and there's no the only relief in sight is the fact that they're playing five games in American League cities or in American League ballparks, two in sure. Yankee Stadium and three in Detroit coming up, so he can at least not have to play the field and they can include him in the lineup if he can make it that far. I mean, this is an extraordinary string of injuries, again, like 1987, that are at the heart of a team performing well below expectations at the same time. I mean, if they performed only at league average, with runners in scoring position, and the fact that their pitching staff has been healthy, for the most part healthy, if not overperforming, at least the starters have uh, have not overperformed, the bullpen has. Uh, if they were performing only at league average, you'd have to figure this is a team, absent the injuries, um, would and, and, and absent the historically bad situational hitting, uh, would, in fact, be in the heart of a race with the Nationals right now, if not ahead. Now, let's go to, and we're, uh, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I have Tim Donner with me, Mike Silva here. We're going over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Actually, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we return, let's get to the trade deadline. Let's get to some of the rumors. Let's hear um, what Tim thinks uh, the Mets should do. Uh, right now, we're both locksync here, maybe a little bit disagreeing on on how good this team could be. But we're both lock sync here on on the fact that we don't we're both not feeling the Mets right now. We're not feeling the Mets here on July 31st, and and not sure that uh, this is a team to invest in. So let's get to the trade deadline. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host Mike Silva, joined by Tim Donner here of MetsMorningsOnline.com. 
Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media if you like, and you can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. We'll be right back. Again, the 3 2. Curveball hit in the air. Deep left center. Back toward the wall. Bam looking up. It's out of here. You win as Zephyrus gives the best the lead. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Mike Silva talking Mets podcast, joined by Tim Donner as he's co-hosting with me Throughout the program today, our July 31st trade deadline edition. Still no news. Uh, I've been tracking Twitter and MLB trade rumors throughout the program. So uh, it looks like Tim and I will be fine. And maybe this uh, this show will be uh, good for at least a couple of hours today. Uh, Tim, let's, uh, let's move on a little bit here. We've kind of dissected where we are with this team. So now let's play GM here. We, we have a team that has underachieved, and, and we can make uh, – uh, reasons behind injuries and bad luck with runners in scoring position and randomness. And, and now it's about putting feet to the fire and what do you do? Now, I think with the players they have, even Cabrera, if he's out three weeks or so, it looks like his injury was pretty bad today. You got to, they got to show me something in this group. There's no reason for this group to fall into oblivion, collapse. And if they do, I think you would agree with me that then it's a much different conversation about the coaching staff because there's still enough here to compete. But let's talk about deals that can be had. It looks like John DeLucroy is out. Uh, the Rangers are the team now. After he turned down the deal to uh, uh, to go to Cleveland, the Rangers are the team that seems to have emerged. Looks like the Mets are out of the, the race on this one. Jay Bruce's name is still out there. That's a little bit of an odd uh, fit, but, but maybe that's more because he is signed for next year uh, of something preemptive uh, or something kind of uh, looking forward to Cespedes, and maybe maybe they want to move on from Granderson or – or maybe they want to put him at first base because they don't know what's going to happen with Duda in his back. Uh, you know, here's some things about relievers. I like Joe Smith. Joe Smith is a free agent at the end of the year, so maybe they bring someone like that in who doesn't cost a lot to help them now and, and possibly get a jump start on resigning them. Uh, I'd like to keep the bullpen intact going into next year. But other than that, I, I really don't see where this team uh, should invest or give up an Ahmed Rosario or Dominic Smith or one of their top prospects that they have left. Uh, there's a there's a there's a kid down in Brooklyn, uh, Zazbuki. I think. And I, I'm, forgive me if I said his name wrong. That everyone's talking about. That seems to be getting some attention. Because I just don't think it's worth it right now to just basically play one game, possibly in L.A., possibly against Clayton Kershaw if he's healthy in October. I just don't think so. I'm not sure any of these deals, except for Lucroy, which isn't on the table, really makes a heck of a lot of sense right now. Well, this is why. I, as I said earlier, there's a middle ground between being a seller and a buyer. And I think in, in this case, they have to be thinking, yes, the last two months of this year, we're still, you know what, we're three games out of the wild card or two and a half, whatever it is now. They're certainly within range on the wild card. Let's give ourselves a shot, you know, with what's still a good starting staff and a good bullpen. Uh, let's give ourselves a shot for this year. But we've got to be thinking towards 2017, and we're not going to make any deal uh, whose effect uh, will run out at the end of this season. We've got to be thinking 2017. Now, with that in mind, uh, I was a big supporter of the idea of the Lucroy trade because he gives us, uh, first of all, he's, and when we're dealing with the will ponds, you always have to consider cost. He has a ridiculously low option for just over $5 million for next year, and so he's cheap. He's controlled through the end of last year. 
He's an impact bat. He's a middle-of-the-order hitter. He's a guy who gives you a whole lot more on defense than Travis Darno does. What you're doing essentially is trading, what, three or four arbitration years of Darno for one and a half years of Jonathan Lucroy. You'd probably have to throw Nemo, uh, Brandon Nimmo into that deal. That's what the bets apparently, by all accounts, had offered, which was Darno and Nimmo and one other mid-level minor league prospect. Uh I don't understand why the Indians didn't take that trade, because I think that Darno is still a project, especially in the American League, where he could DH maybe 15, 20 times a year. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't take it. I'm sorry that the Mets are out of the running. Jay Bruce gives you very something very different, which is doubling down on the idea that you can only win by bludgeoning the other team to death sure. with the long ball which is exactly what happened in April and which the team has been dependent on. We've talked about it today uh, all season. So Jay Bruce would be doubling down on that. He's an all-or-nothing hitter who's having pretty much a career year after a couple of really bad seasons. I was not excited at all at the prospect of getting him last year. Thank God we didn't get him because when, when that deal didn't work out, that's when we got Yoen is Cespedes, and the rest is history. This year he's had a better year, but he is a he is a one-dimensional player. And I don't think the Mets need another one-dimensional player. They need more athletes. They need more athleticism. I don't believe this is a team, Yoen is Cespedes aside, even if they can extend and, and keep him, uh, th- this cannot be a team that sits back and waits for the home run especially when they're playing, Mike, in a park that is hardly a home run hitter's park. It's a lot more friendly, a lot more fair now. But this is a team that that has to have more athleticism, that has to have more dynamism, that has to have more than one way to score runs. And so they need to be thinking, last two months of this year, sure, let's give it a shot, but only if it makes sense for next year as well. Yeah, and and a little bit of news that just came across the wire. It seems like Matt Reynolds has been recalled from Vegas or will be recalled from Vegas once they decide what's going to happen with Estrubel Cabrera, who most certainly will go on the DL. So Reynolds is on his way to New York. We're going to they're going to figure out where um you know where where Cabrera is, and it looks like that's going to be a couple of weeks. That's a DL stint, uh, no doubt. Now remember something for next year, and I hate to keep looking towards next year because. I mean, let's let's also say the Mets are two games back of the, of the Marlins for a second wild card. They have uh, still games left to play against the Marlins. The Cardinals are ahead of them, and by no means do I think the Cardinals are. They're an interesting team. They got some good offense. They've got gamers. They've got a, a team that seems to always maximize. There's an example of a team that maximizes whatever this roster is. Whereas under Terry Collins, I feel the Mets don't even come close to maximizing whatever talent they have. But that's a whole a whole other show we could get into. But the Cardinals are not great shakes where the Mets can't overcome them. So, uh, But they do have Jose Reyes, and there's a guy that he's a little bit older. Yeah, he's north of 30. He was starting to show his impact. I mean, he helped them with that game in Chicago with that triple. That was a huge play. That's the kind of play you're not going to get out of some of the guys in the lineup now. Uh, being out as long as he was uh, due to the suspension certainly had an impact in why he historically has had issues with that oblique, and now he's down again with the oblique issue. So... You know, you have you have Reyes, and 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 you look up and down the lineup. You know, how do you improve this roster, Tim? How do you improve it? Well, let me put it this way. Let me try to put it into further context. What I said before, last year was a year where you look at a guy like Michael Fulmer, and you say, "Boy, I don't want to give him up. He has number. He has top of the rotation potential, but we certainly will give him up." to get a Cespedes because we really believe we've got a shot because the Nationals are in a down year. The stars seem to be aligned enough to take a shot at it. This year, if you had Michael Fulmer this year, I think you would say, no, we will not trade Michael Fulmer for a two-month rental that gives us a shot at a one-game playoff. I think that's sort of where the dividing line would be. It's a hypothetical one, but a real one, I think. I think well, I think that you were story. playing for the division last year. You were playing for the division, and that holds right. a little bit more exactly. Exactly. Now let me throw something at you on that answer. I said this. I said two things earlier in the season on this podcast, and I got criticized 
heavily for both. First, they showed concern in April for the large percentage of the runs being being scored by the home run. And they had a great April, and they have not had a winning month since April. They finished July with a losing record. So every month since April has been a losing record, and, and the offense has been the culprit. So I was right on that. The second thing I questioned back when it first seemed that the Mets could get in on LaCroix, I said, would it be possible, as much as I like Conforto, if you centered him on the deal, and I'm not saying trade Conforto for LaCroix, I wouldn't like that, but if you were able to get a little bit more, I said at the time, could you get them to include Ryan Braun and LaCroix and get two impact hitters, and then you'd be willing to throw Conforto and, and obviously other uh, prospects of higher-end elk into, into the mix in the offseason depending on what you see out of Conforto here the rest of the year, he still is going to have value. He's still going to be regarded. Everyone loves the kid, and they think because of his demeanor and, and his swing that he's going to be great. But, you know, remember the name Ben Grieve there, Tim? Ben Grieve mm-hmm. was a top uh, draft pick, had a great year with Oakland in the late 90s, never lived up to that hype. So things happen. Just because you have a great swing and you're a great kid and you have a great year or Conforto's case, half a year, a couple of months, doesn't mean you're guaranteed. If you have an opportunity to do what you did with Fulmer for Cespedes with Conforto for an offensive piece that's going to be here a couple of years, I think you have well, to think, think about that. Now, I got criticized for that. The, 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 the board didn't like that. The Metsmerized Online community didn't like that. Twitter didn't like that. But right now, you've got to think about it, right? I mean, that's, that's the way I look at it. Well, I think uh, the answer to that question revolves a lot around what the Mets really think the upside is of Brandon Nimmo. Because in essence, if you were to trade Michael Conforto, you would be, unless you're getting a guy to replace him, to swap him out for another guy who would directly take his place, which is possible, but if they didn't, what do they really think of Brandon Nimmo's upside? What do they really think this guy can bring them compared to Conforto? Because in a way, they're the same player, Nimmo has more speed. He's, they could develop into similar power hitters. They, they could both develop into 25 home run guys. But you don't really know what you have in Nimmo. Uh, so if, you're, if you were trading, for example, if you made the trade of Nimmo along with Darno for Jonathan Lucroy, you'd be sort of you'd be sort of placing a bet on Nimmo to some degree uh, you'd you'd be placing a bet on Conforto if you were to trade Conforto you'd be having to place a bet to some degree on Nimmo unless he's also traded and i think Conforto appears to be more of a known quantity but i don't know what to make of Brandon Nimmo and i think he's sort of at the center of this process because here's a guy you'd like to keep You'd like to see what he could do. You want to see what his upside is. You sense that maybe his value isn't as high now as it might be after a year or two in the majors. Um, And yet at the same time, he is a guy you would trade, certainly, as as part of a bigger deal. I would have liked to see, like you said, a trade with Milwaukee where they could pick up a relief pitcher as well. Although I have to say, and this is one of the points I wanted to make, I, I did not understand... Uh, and maybe you can explain it to me, that if you break down a team into three basic areas, the offense, the starting pitching, and the bullpen, I mean, there's no question that the bullpen has been not only the biggest surprise, but the most solid part of the team all season, the most reliable, familiar's back-to-back blown saves this week notwithstanding, and yet all the talk leading up to the deadline until the Lucroy uh, talks came up until Jay Bruce's name came up was about adding to the bullpen. And I thought, okay, that that's fine. I'd sure I'd love to get another reliever. Uh, bastardo has been a complete bust. We need to, we need to unload him some way, somehow one way or another. So sure. That's great. But that's hardly the, at the top of the list <laughs> of wants, and certainly of needs going into the into the the break. And I thought at one point I hypothesized in a comment I made on on MMO that 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 was just a smokescreen uh, to cover a larger trade that they were trying to make that might fly a little under the radar if they kept saying, well, they're just looking for relievers. Well, of course, the Lou Croy stuff came out 
and the Jay Bruce stuff came out. I don't know whether they'll get Jay Bruce or not. I I, I guess on balance, I hope they don't. But uh, I I just I, I felt it was strange that I'm saying, well, wait a minute, are they watching the same team? I mean, Addison Reed has been absolute lockdown. The biggest surprise, the most pleasant surprise on the team. I mean, he struck out. He struck out the side against the Rockies today, uh, which was, you know, if you had this Addison in, Reed in, last year, you probably wouldn't have that series. losing streak. And and Familia had the fifty-two uh, save streak. I mean, he had blown a couple games earlier in the year, one with a four-run lead, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, it, that streak was a little bit deceptive, but but nevertheless, I mean, the bullpen's been the strongest area, and yet it seemed that that's what, what they were focusing on for a lot of time until they finally realized that this offense just needed a shot of life, and it still does, of course. Well, uh, let me get you into that. So a couple of things on that you, had, you, you said a lot. First off, I think that they realize right now with Mats and Syndergaard, you may not get more than six innings out of them. And I don't think they want to push them too much. So you're going to need to navigate the seventh inning with Blevins. And I think you have a better shot of that with a veteran reliever like a Joe Smith from Anaheim, who's been here before and has a lot better version of Joe Smith than the version that was here uh, 10 years ago or, or so. Um, then you do with Eric Goodell. And, and I still don't trust Hansel Robles. I know he's had a good year, but I still have some issues with that. So I think if you want to compete and you're not really giving up a lot, I could see where that doesn't hurt. And maybe you get a chance to sign the guy. Now you have yourself a real solid bullpen for next year. I mean, bullpen well, is still look, I, I, I think have... it, it, does, it, it doesn't hurt. But when you have a historically bad <laughs> situational hitting offense, Sure. My point is sure. that is that that's hardly should be at the top the of your thing. Christmas list, you know. Right, right. Now the other thing about Nimmo, from what I understand, and I have a a buddy that works in minor league baseball down in Charlotte. There's there's those in the Mets organization that feel Nimmo is a backup outfielder. He's not a center fielder. Sandy's is Alderson's trying to see can the kid play center field, but I think we've seen defensively he's just not. When you're you're being compared to Hunter Pence. And a former teammate at Hunter Pence once told me that Hunter Pence, great guy, but needs a GPS to find a fly ball in the outfield. That's all you need to know when you're being compared to him. So, um, you know, that that to me is is where the feeling is on Nimmo. And if Nimmo and Darno, Although is, I think in, in, in fairness, part of that comparison or a large part of that comparison to Hunter Pence is based on the way they carry themselves and sure, their sort of sure. offbeat persona. Absolutely. You know, I think I think right. a lot of the comparisons based on that. But here's the Brewers who had a guy like Lucroy. They were getting and tells you how much they think of Darno. They were getting back a starting catcher. They were getting her back a first round pick uh in in in, in the Shishini. And they might and excuse me, in uh, in Nemo. And then they had a chance to either have uh Dilson Herrera in that deal. It's it's leaked out. So uh, who, you know, with the Mets struggling offensively, I understand he plays second base. There hasn't been any inclination to bring him up. So it makes you wonder there, you know, how they feel. He's never really hit at the big league level. Here's another question that's been brought up on Twitter, because with the whole Matt Reynolds news that Matt Reynolds getting brought up, is that Matt Reynolds is hitting about 230 down in Vegas, strikes out about a quarter of the time, whereas Gavin Shashini is hitting over 300 uh, and strikes out about 10% of the time. Now, I understand from what I, uh, I've heard, Shashini's an awful defensive player, and right now, I think because of the way the offense is, even though you would be importing and bringing up a 300 hitter, you don't want to weaken the offense, uh, the defense up the middle. That's been a, a big reason why they even are where they are. Here's the other thing. Here's a wild thought. Are they afraid to bring up Shashini because they're afraid to expose him to big league action, and then people say, yeah, maybe he's not as good as you think, and that will hurt yeah. his trade value. I mean, that could be part of it, too. I don't know. So... Um, no, you know, there's, there's a couple there's, of things. I, out I think there. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. They don't want to expose Caccini. They want to, they want to, you know, to keep his value at its current level by keeping him in the minors. My thought is that Caccini is really more of a uh, of a plan B at second base if Herrera doesn't work out and they don't. Uh, and Walker doesn't uh, doesn't stick around, which I think is likely. Uh, and they don't acquire someone. I think Caccini is, if Herrera doesn't work out and we don't get another second baseman after Walker, then we look at Caccini because maybe his bat is good enough to cover for defense and maybe he can play second. 
All right, let's take one last break. When we return, uh, Tim and I are going to wrap up. Uh, we have a little bit of uh, looking back at the Subway Series, getting a feel of this team going forward. Um, big week. I mean, look, every week now, every game is really a big game for the Mets. They're in a dogfight for the next eight weeks to get themselves the opportunity to play in a play-in game. So I uh, can't say that there isn't any more big games. Every big game is big. So you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, joined by Tim Donner here. Check out the show at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. We'll be right back. The number retirement that we are about to witness is a big deal. It is a really, really big deal. It is quite simply the highest honor that a team can bestow upon one of its players. Consider for a moment the select few who have earned this honor in the 54-year history of our team. Direct your attention to the Mets' retired numbers atop City Field in the left field corner. Congratulations, Mike. City Field is all yours. We're back. Final segment. Mike Silva here with Tim Donner. Uh, Tim, of course, is over at MetsmarizedOnline.com, had his own syndicated uh, talk show, Talking Baseball, and he's joining us. And, uh, Tim, I know you probably piazzed out after the uh, ceremony, the retirement of the Hall of Fame, everything, and, and I think there hasn't been a, a Piazza story that hasn't been rehashed maybe 37 million times over the last two weeks. But a nice ceremony last night. I mean, Piazza, I think, was even talked out. It wasn't quite the dynamic speech he made at Cooperstown. But, um, look, I don't know. This is the first player in my of my generation to get his number retired as a Met. Um, you know, you probably watched Seaver, and, and Seaver was retired in 1988, and I, I didn't quite have the same connection to Seaver that I had to Piazza. But any thoughts on Piazza uh, before we get into kind of the Subway Series and wrap this uh, this puppy up? Well, I think that uh, in the in the pantheon of Mets greats, Mike Piazza has to go down number one on the offensive side. Seaver number one, of course. Uh, on the pitching side, those are the only two Mets Hall of Famers. But the special place that they hold in the hearts of those of us who followed the team for 54 years is that in both cases, Seaver a little bit, uh, a little bit more long term, Piazza sort of more immediately changed the entire culture of the organization when they arrived. Seaver said back in 1967 uh, in his rookie year, he said, you know, I've heard all about the Mets and that they're a joke and that they're a laughing stock. He said, that's over. That's not us. That's not going to be the Mets going forward. He changed the culture along, of course, with Gil Hodges and some very, very talented pitchers and some real Mets magic in 1969. And when Mike Piazza, uh, arrived in 1998, he turned a, an upstart, admirable, young, hustling, overachieving team that had done well in 1997 after the disappointments of the early 90s where you had the Bonilla, Coleman, Saberhagen years, the worst team money could buy. And then you had Generation K in 1996, which was supposed to turn the franchise around and and, uh, you know, they fell flat on their faces uh, in one form or another at one time or another. Uh, when he arrived in 1998, he transformed the franchise. And in 90, it's no coincidence that 99 and 2000 were the, were the only two seasons in Met history that represent back-to-back playoff teams. And he turned the franchise around. He electrified uh, a a, a, a team that needed, as I believe it was, was it uh, Al Leiter that said at the uh, in the in the video introducing him at the uh, at the Cooperstown ceremony that they needed the Madison Avenue guy. They didn't have that, and when Piazza arrived, they had the Madison Avenue guy, and he 
had all the pressure. I mean, he had a tremendous pressure on him, and how he performed under pressure is something we'll never forget. I mean, that to me is – and this is a guy, I have to admit, Mike, this is a guy that I hated when he was on the Dodgers. I used to look at my wife watching games and say, I can't stand this guy, Piazza. If I hear another word about him and I have to look at Tommy Lasorda again, I'm going to be yeah. physically ill. And Tom, then he Tommy Lasorda was tough to take. He he is, to take Mike Piazza is my favorite man of all time for what he, how he transformed a, a team that had <clears throat> fallen apart, a team that had become irrelevant, a team that had become a joke, and he transformed them into a team uh, that everyone will remember, 99, that was a special team, and 2000, yep. the, the Subway Series. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now we get into the Subway Series, uh, the current version, and and Tim, I, what I like about this Subway Series is I wish they would do this every year, and I know that they're only going to do it when the schedule permits. But I like the four games: the two in New York, the two in in uh, the two at City Field, the two in, in Yankee Stadium. And you make it a week, and 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 it's done, it's over with. You don't have three in May, three in August. Well, last year they had them in September at City Field. I think it's I think even this is late in the season. I wish they would stick it like they used to sometime in late May. Early June, right there, four games, get it out of the way. It's like your first taste of some intensity, postseason intensity. Here's the problem. There's no more intensity with it. I'm not into it anymore. Maybe with the Yankees now overturning their roster, getting rid of the uh, mercenary players and bringing in some young uh, players that potentially could come up through their system and be part of their fabric for, who knows, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Maybe you'll recapture that. It's going to be a while before that happens. But right now, this is another four games on the on the on the schedule. And let's face it, it'd be nice to see the Mets win all four, not because it'd be bragging rights for the city, because they could really use four wins right now. And uh, three out of four is is almost a must. You you know as you look at this. So uh, anyway, I'm not into this anymore from a Subway Series point of view. This is at a point where the Mets really need to just win the games because they need to win the games. It's it's been a while since I've been into the Subway Series to be totally frank about it. Well, I have to agree with you. I mean, and, and it's really quite simple. I mean, neither team is very good. And when neither team is terribly good, it's just not as interesting as it was, for example, in the late 90s and early 2000s when both teams were good. And these games actually had, you know, the added juice of, 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 uh, of which team was going to own the city. Well, I think at this point, you know, the Mets own the city because they went to the World Series last year, and there's more interest, or at least there has been, at least over the off season and into this season, maybe up till maybe a month or two ago, there was much more interest in the Mets. They did own the town for that short period of time. Now, I, I'd have to say neither team owns the town because the Yankees. I think they made a couple of great trades, by the way, with the you know getting you know, peddling Andrew Miller and, right. and they stopped and, diluting and peddling Aralvis Chapman and, and yeah, restocking they their farm system. I I I yeah. think they I think they did well for themselves, but but the, the benefits, the dividends from those trades won't pay off for two or three years. And the Mets are where we've discussed today. So I think if both teams were better, if both teams were in first place, if both teams were in serious contention rather than on the fringes of the wild card race there would be more interest, but certainly not as much as there was back in the early days of the rivalry when there was still some novelty to it. All right, last question, uh, Tim, before we wrap up. Mets are the same record this year, 54-50 and 50 that they were last year. They went 36-22 and 22 over their final um, 58 games. That probably gets you into the playoffs. That probably that might even get you a home game in the playing game. I don't know. 90 wins is a pretty good number. Uh, and it was the baseline number that I thought the Mets would would win this year. Now, I mean, you're looking at a team that's slightly above 500, but the pace they're on, they're about an 83-84 win team. Can the Mets, let's assume that the roster that we see right now, maybe a relief pitcher gets added, but let's assume no major changes. Tim, I'm putting you on the spot. Can we? Can the Mets get to 36-22, and 22, win 90 games, equal last year's record, and... Uh, probably put themselves in a good shot to be in a, a solid postseason spot. No, 
I don't think they can win 90 games. I think they could win 86 games. I think they could win 85, 86, 87. That may not get it done, but let's just say that it has in the past. The Indians, the last time they made the team, uh, made the playoffs as a postseason team, they 85 wins. So it does happen. And remember, the National League is not replete with powerhouse teams this year. I mean, outside of the Cubs and the Nationals, which I, who I still think are somewhat vulnerable, uh, and, the, and the Giants, to some degree, though they have really collapsed lately, um, this is not a great league. And so that plays to the Mets' advantage. Uh, so I'd say they have maybe a 40% shot at the playoffs, maybe a 50% shot at this point. It could all come together, but especially, again, I hate to say the Cabrera injury because it's not like he's indispensable, but it just right. seemed like another indicator of a season that ain't happening. Well, Tim, it's the hour goes by too fast. We have to do this again. Um, after they throw eggs at us on uh, MetsamorizedOnline.com for uh, I can, being I can't, the Bears. I can't wait. I enjoy, I, I enjoy it. I will enjoy it. <laughs> Listen, you be well. There's a lot of baseball left to play. You and I will uh, catch up again before the season's out. And uh, keep up the good work at MetsamorizedOnline. And uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. Alrighty. Mike, thanks for doing this. Thanks for making this available to Mets fans. The real ones will definitely be listening to your podcast on a weekly basis. Awesome. Thanks. That's uh, that's uh, Tim Donner, nationally uh, syndicated uh, radio host uh, on the Talking Baseball program that he uh, he, he hosted with uh, former GM Sid Thrift. He's on MetsamorizedOnline.com. Had fun him co-hosting here for an hour uh, today. I thought it was appropriate. I mean, it's just so hard with the trade deadline. I didn't know. Hard to record a segment in the morning uh, with a with an expert, which could be stale within an hour with the, the clock moving. So anyway, had a good time. You know, before we go, just want to let all you guys know, how would you like to get all your favorite Mets merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team. In this case, it's the Mets. And every month you get Mets gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea. For any sports fan, prices start at thirty four ninety nine. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code TALKINGMETS at the checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need. Make sure you check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media during the week, and I'll uh, put out a little trivia question about this podcast so that you have a chance to win a free month at fanessentials.net. Well, we're out of time here. Hunker down, everybody. The trade deadline's upon us. We'll see what the Mets look like. Uh, anyway, I want to thank Tim Donner. You can check me out, of course, at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. Check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and, of course, at MetsMorizedOnline.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Hunker down for the trade deadline, and I will see you next week. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the